Hi everybody. Welcome. Sorry about the delay in timing. Um, I know we were supposed to start 9.30, but hopefully you guys can still join now. Okay. Um, this is a very exciting moment for me because this is something that I've been learning for some time and I've been like figuring out Oh, I'm so excited that you guys are also excited. I've been trying to figure out the proper method um, and format of teaching this. So for those of you who are joining, hi everybody. Um, this will be saved into an IGTV series. We're also going to be creating um, a podcast um, for the Breastlift Book Club. For those of you who've been following along on Thank You Hashem today, we did post a link to the book. The book is called The Story of Our Lives. Um, and I'm going to post the swipe up once again that will have a discount count, discount code for a week. Um, just so you know, you don't need to have it. You don't need to have the book to follow along, but if you do have it, even better. Um, but tonight is definitely going to be story time because I'm going to first actually read the story. Okay, so now that you're all here, um, my name is Faggy Bloomstein. I am so excited to be on here once again. I think it's um, a little bit more than a year that I started teaching classes on Thank You Hashem Instagram. Um, and it's been quite the year. And the fact that, hi Shandy, I don't even know what time zone you're in. Um, I'm so happy that you joined. Um, I was thinking that, you know, like a year ago, I would never have thought that I would be like sitting here teaching um, the stories of Rabbi Nachman. You know, growing up, like I always just assumed like Brest of Hasidus was like those people with Nanach Yamagas and like jumping on cars in Israel on top of vans and people were always happy. Um, and as my learning matured, I realized that really really everything I connect to is Brest of Hasidus. Um, there are a lot of other, you know, teachings of, from, you know, the Hasidic masters, um, but I'm finding that my heart is very much connecting to Brest of Hasidus, and I will explain that through this book. So um, every year when I go away on vacation with my husband, um, I always like, like to get myself something new. You know when you go away, like, you know? Um, so it's like, sometimes it's pure sunglasses. And like two years ago, I remember my husband telling me, he's like, oh, I got you a gift for, um, I got you a gift for vacation. And I'm like all excited. I'm like, maybe it's a Gucci bag. Maybe it's new slides. And it was two songs from like the new Zusha album that was coming out. So for those of you who know me, I do love Zusha. So that was a gift that I very much appreciated. Um, and then like as a joke, like he started getting like jokes, you know, um, gifts for vacation. And this year he actually purchased this book for me. And it's like I said, it's called The Story of Our Lives, which is based on the story of Rabbi Nachman's story of the lost princess. Um, and it's been since February and I am still working my way through this book. Um, I did a practice round on, um, oh, just in time for Nicole, I just said I did a practice round and I'm still in the middle of the practice round of the Breast Level Club with some girls that I teach with um, at Mower Manhattan in New York City and now we're kind of opening it to the public. So here it goes. Um, if anybody has any questions, obviously please put them in the comments and I'll try to follow along, but also at the end um, I'll leave some space for questions. And if anybody ever wants to reach out to me, please, you know, private message me either on Thank You Hashem Instagram or on my own, which is Faggy Bloom, because I made an account, Faggy Bloom, 
like years ago and I got locked out of it. So now I'm just stuck with Fady Blue. So let's get into this. Um, Rabbi Nachman Breslov is one of the Talmudim of the Baal Shem Tov. He found, he, he connected very, very, very much with the Yidin of that generation. And at one point in his life, he actually wrote a storybook. Um, like Hansel and Gretel style, he wrote a storybook. Um, and Sipuri Maisos. And one of those stories is the story of the Lost Princess. Another one of the stories is actually, I don't know if anybody ever heard the story where the chicken is under the table. Um, actually, Hanan Ben Ari made a song on it um, called Hindik. Um, so there's like a great story. That's one of the stories. Maybe some of you have heard of it. There's also like Art Scroll probably makes like amazing children's books um, with pictures and everything of Rabbi Nachman's story. But what we're going to do tonight is the story of the Lost Princess. I was hinting and saying that the story of the Lost Princess um, is like a Disney. Like I'm pretty sure like you're going to be hearing it and you're going to like feel like it's a little bit of Shrek um, combined with a little bit of Snow White. Um, so I am going to get started with this. Um, and I see people are asking about the book. So I'm going to send a swipe up for this actual book, but I'm sure online you can just look for um, Google like the Tales of Rabbi Nachman. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to start with learning some deep lessons from the Tales of Rabbi Nachman. So without further ado, I'm going to begin by reading the story. Um, I feel like when a teacher calls on a student to read out loud, and of course they like mess up, so here it goes. Um, okay, so the Rebbe spoke up and said, while on a journey, I told a story. Whoever heard it had a thought of repentance, and this is the story. So that's just a little intro. Rabbi Nachman is saying that when he told this story on a journey, anybody who heard this story, they thought of doing tshuva. Okay, so follow along with the story of the lost princess. There was once a king who had six sons and one daughter. The daughter was very precious in his eyes and he loved her very much. He took very great delight in her. On one occasion, when the king was together with her on a certain day, he grew angry with her and he threw the following words from his mouth. May the no good one take you. That night, she went to her room, and in the morning, no one knew where she went. Her father was very pained, and he went here and there looking for her. The Vissery stood up. The Vissery is kind of like the Shemuel Melach, the second in command. I had to Google that. Um, for he saw the king's pain. He requested a servant, a horse, and money for expenses, and he went to search for her. He searched for a very long time until he found her. Now we will tell you of how he searched until he found her. So this is like a story that actually tells you the ending. It tells you, I'm going to tell you how he found her. He found her. But now let me tell you how he found her. Okay. The Viserys traveled here and there for a long time through deserts, fields, and forests. He searched for her for a very long time. Finally, while traveling through the desert, he saw a path to the side and he thought it over. Since I've traveled for so long in the desert and I cannot find her, let me follow this path. Perhaps it will bring me to an inhabited area. And he walked for a very long time. Sorry about that. After some time, he saw a castle. Many soldiers stood around it. The castle was very beautiful and neat, and the troops were very orderly. The Viserys was afraid that the soldiers would not let him enter, but he thought it over and he said, I will go ahead and try. He left behind his horse and he went to the castle. The soldiers didn't stop at all, and he went from room to room. Finally, he came to the main hall. There, he saw the king sitting with the crown on his head. There were many soldiers there, as well as musicians, with their instruments before them. It was all very beautiful and pleasant. 
Neither the king nor anyone else asked him any questions. He saw delicacies and fine foods there, and he stood and he ate. And then he went to lie down in the corner to see what would happen next. He saw that the king requested for, him, for them to bring the queen. They went to fetch her, and there was a great uproar and tremendous joy as they brought forth the queen. Now I'm like, if this was a movie, you'd be like, dun dun dun. The orchestra played and the choir sang. They set up a throne for her and she sat next to the king. She was the lost princess. As soon as the visitor saw her, he recognized her. The queen looked around and seeing someone lying in the corner, she recognized him. She stood up from her throne and she went over and she touched him. Do you know me? She said. Yes, he replied. I know you. You are the lost princess. He then asked her, how do you get here? It happened that my father, the king, threw these words at me from his mouth. May the no good one take you, she answered. This is the place of no good. The visery told her that her father was in so much pain and he had searched for many years. How can I get you out of here? He asked. She said, it's impossible to get me out of here unless you choose for yourself a place and you remain there for a full year. All that year, you have to long for me. Wherever, whenever you are unoccupied, you must only yearn, seek, and look forward to freeing me. And you must also fast. Then on the last day of the year, you must fast and go without sleep for the entire 24 hour period. The visery went and he did what the princess had told him. And on the final day, the year closed, he fasted and he didn't sleep. He got up, he rose and began heading towards the palace. He saw a tree with beautiful apples. Cue the scary music. It was very desirable to his eyes and he ate an apple. Immediately after eating the apple, he fell into a deep sleep and he slept for a very long time. The servant tried to shake him, but he would not wake. After some time, the visitor awoke from his slumber and asked the servant, where in the world am I? The servant told him what happened. You slept for a very long time, for many years. I survived only by eating fruit. The visitor was very upset at him and very upset at himself. And he went to the palace and he found the princess. He found her and she, and she lamented to him greatly saying, if you had come on that day, you would have freed me from here. But because of one day, you lost everything. However, it is very difficult not to eat, especially on the last day, the evil urge is very strong. The princess is telling him these conditions to make it easier for him so that she won't make him fast on the last day. Therefore, return and choose for yourself a place and sit there for a year just as before. On the last day, you will be allowed to eat, but you must not sleep and you must not drink wine so that you don't fall asleep. For the most important thing is that you remain awake. He went and he did so. On the final day, he began approaching the palace and he saw a flowing river and the river was red and it smelled like wine. He asked his servant, have you ever seen such a thing, a river of water that appears red and smells like wine? He went and he tasted from the river and he immediately fell asleep and slept for many years, a period of 70 years. Many troops passed with a procession and equipment that accompanied them. The servant hid himself before the soldiers. After the troops passed, a chariot covered wagon approached. In it sat the princess. The procession stopped nearby. The princess descended, sat next to the visery. She recognized him. She shook him very much, but he didn't wake. She began to bemoan how many immense difficulties and toils he's undergone for so many years in order to free me. And on that day, he could have freed me. He lost everything. She began to cry greatly all, all, over all of this, saying, for there's great pity upon him and upon me, for I have been held captive here for so long and I'm unable to leave. 
She then took the scar from her head and she wrote on it with tears. She placed it next to him and she went and sat in the chariot and they traveled on. We're almost done. You know, like at the end of Yom Kippur when you're like looking at the pages? Okay, right? It sounds like Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. Wait, one second. More characters are gonna come in. After this, the viscery awoke and he asked the servant, where in the world am I? And the servant told him. He told the viscery the entire story about the many soldiers that had passed and the chariot and the princess and the crying and the grief. Suddenly he looked up and he noticed that the headscarf was next to him. And he said, where's this from? He asked, and the servant said, that's from the princess, written with her tears. So he began to see letters and he read that at this time, she's no longer at that previous palace. Rather, you need to search for a mountain of gold and a palace of pearls and there you will find me. He left his servant behind and he went to go look for her. Eventually he came to the realization that the mountain of gold and palace of pearls does not exist in the settled world. So what he did was he started to travel and he met a tremendous large person who didn't seem to be human at all with his enormous size. So of course I'm imagining like Shrek or like Jack and the Beanstalk, right? He carried a huge tree and he said, who are you? And he said, I'm human. And he said, I haven't seen, it's been so long that I've been in this desert that I've never seen a human here. So the viscery told him the whole story and he says he needs to find this palace. And he said, certainly this place doesn't exist. And he said, no, I, I, I'm telling you, it really exists. And the giant kept saying, no, it doesn't exist. And the viscery says, it certainly exists. So he says, listen, the giant tells the viscery, in my opinion, it's folly. But because you're very adamant about it, I'm going to appoint, I'm appointed over all the wild animals. Oh, so now we have, oh yes, Hagrid. Um, now we have um, this idea where he's saying, I'm the king of all the wild animals. So I'm imagining, um, you know, where the wild things are. So he says, um, he calls all the animals, smallest to largest, all kinds of wild animals. And they all said, they've never seen such a place. And he says, you see, I've never seen such a place. So certainly it's folly. So he says, you know what? Let me go ask my brother. He's another giant and he's in charge of all the birds. Maybe he knows something. So maybe he can go fly up and he could find this palace. And the viscery goes for many years and he finds another giant. And this giant is telling him also, there's no such thing. I'll send all the birds. There's no such thing. And he says, I need to find this place. So he goes, go further into the, into the desert. You're going to find my other brother. And he's in charge of all the winds. So he says, it has to be that there's this place. And he says the same thing again. There's no such thing, no such thing. The viscery just began to cry very greatly. And he says, I know that this place exists. And in the middle of this conversation, there was another wind that came in. And the giant grew very angry saying, why do you come so late? I told all the winds that they should come together. Why are you coming so late? And then this wind says, I was held up because I needed to carry a princess to a mountain of gold and a palace of pearls. And he was very joyous. The giant asked the wind, what is precious there? And the wind responded, everything there is tremendously valuable and expensive. The one appointed over the wind said to Viscery, because you have been searching for such a great amount of time and you've had so many struggles, it's possible that you're now gonna have a struggle of money. Therefore, I'm gonna give you a vessel. And whenever you reach inside, you will be able to draw money from there. And the giant commanded the wind to bring the Viscery to that palace to that place and the storm wind came, carried him there, bringing him to the gate. And there were troops there who didn't let him go into the city. And what he did was he reached his hands into the vessel and he took out money and he bribed them to enter into the city. And it was a beautiful city. He went to a wealthy man and he paid for a room and for a board. And cause he knew he needed to stay a while and he needed to devote much thought and contemplation to free her. 
And Rabbi Nachman says, the manner in which he freed her was not told, but in the end, he freed her. So that was story time. Um, I'm very grateful to like be able to look up now. Um, I feel like a Mora, you know, like look at the pages over here, right? There's no pictures of this book. Okay, so now that we've heard the story, let's just like digest it for one second. Think of all the things I see people are saying, um, like Hagrid and all things like that. Okay, so now what we have to do is we have to get to the understanding of who the princess was. What does this princess represent? Obviously, this is a tremendous mushal. Um, I'm sure Disney, you know, riffed off a little bit, but this is an incredible, incredible mushal, and we're going to try to understand it. We're going to break the story down into, into a few parts. We're going to try to do this in a six-week series, um, and let's break down the story. So the main thing is that the Rebbe spoke up, and he said, while I was on a journey, I told a story, and whoever heard this story thought of tshuva. This is the story. So now on a simple level, we can say, you know, this, the circumstances of this story can actually have an effect on a person when they hear it because they can say, oh, it makes sense. Like he was working so hard, so he went to do tshuva. But obviously there's a deeper meaning to this whole, this whole mashal. Every single thing can be broken down that we're going to learn something that you're like, my brain sometimes are like literally on the floor. Okay, so now let's try to understand first about this whole story of our lives, why this book is, why the story, this book is actually called Story of Our Lives. So it's really, it's about a princess who gets lost and the whole search is to find her. Now we can think of many examples and I'm sure I'll, I mean, I'll put it out there in the comments or if anybody wants to message me after of what their thoughts were when they first thought of, they first heard about this princess. So the idea is that we first have to understand what the identity and who the princess represents. Is the princess somebody in our lives? Is she actually somebody in the, you know, in this, in this fake story? Is she Cinderella? Is she Snow White? What is happening here? Who is this princess? So now every single person, the way that we were created, we are taught is that is every single person is what we called an, oh, oh somebody wrote the neshama. Um, definitely, definitely connected to the neshama. Every single one of us is what we refer to as an olam male. We are an entire universe. And the things that we face on a personal level are things that we face on a global level as well. So things that we are going to experience in our lives are what people are going to experience in their lives as well, but it's going to be on a much bigger level. Now we have to understand that when we develop from children into adulthood, there's something that actually happens to us. We, we kind of, um, okay, as a child, I don't, I don't know if any of you see this with your children or you're around kids, you see that there's an incredible enthusiasm to their life. And as we possibly get older, we might lack that enthusiasm. So let's take birthdays, for example, right? I know some people, they celebrate their birthdays for like weeks, birthday months, and that's amazing. But little kids, the most important thing in their entire life are birthdays, balloons, presents, everything to the point where I'm making my daughter a birthday party I think tomorrow night, and her birthday was in April, but we were busy making my son's bar mitzvah, so we pushed it off till now. But this is all she's thinking about and talking about. There's a tremendous joy and enthusiasm that she has, and, and an eagerness to be, to be excited to plan her birthday. As we get older, people don't like to say their age, people don't feel connected maybe, and there's this like, every time they get to their birthday, there's like this like lump in their throat, like another year, like where do I go from here? The whole idea of this story obviously, as we said, is something that we connect to in tshuva, is to recognize that we need, we need to connect to that princess of our youth. 
We need to get back to that place where we were thriving and we were enthusiastic and we were excited about everything. And some people can call that the engagement period when people first get engaged, right? There's this excitement, there's this lust, there's a, there's a joy that comes with every time you see the person. And then as you get older and you get married and it's like, okay, like, you know, uh, another, you know, another exciting day, an anniversary, this, that, but there's not that excitement that you first had in that engagement period. The idea is that as we go through this world and as we get older and maybe more, we, we mature more, that on our journey, the natural excitement of serving Hashem and about Hashem does get lost. It sometimes even gets extinguished. And the idea is that like, as you get older, maybe you become like a little bit more cynical um, and you recognize that there's like the real world and there's problems, right? Like, you know, all those memes about like adulthood, like, um, Oh, no, so this does not get old. Um, the idea where um, when, as you get older and you become, let's say, like we said, more cynical, there's disappointment, there's despair. As you get older, the passion and the love and the excitement that we experience when we first, let's say, we're have, experiencing Shabbos. Like, as a kid, like, the most exciting thing is Shabbos. Like, Shabbos party, Shabbos cereal, I don't know you guys have this, Shabbos soda. Like, growing up, there's a tremendous excitement that comes to Shabbos. Like, my kids count down. And as an adult, I mean, I'm gonna be totally honest here and say like, sometimes Shabbos comes around and I'm like, again? Like, I need to cook, I need to meal plan, I have to go to gourmet Glad again. So there's like this kind of like, I don't know if it's, I'm not gonna say disappointment, but it's definitely not the same feeling that my three-year-old has when she jumps into the house and says, today is Shabbos. And she pulls out the challah that she made in school that has like chocolate chips and sprinkles and I don't even know why then there's like a popsicle stick in there because you want to put her name on it, right? There's a tremendous excitement that the children have when it comes to Shabbos. And sometimes there's an eye roll from an adult, and me included. I'm like, I need to figure out more recipes. I start, you know, sifting through every single magazine. And then I ask all my friends and I come back to the same exact recipes that I always make. Rabbi Nachman is saying that when, when he was on this journey, it could be that he was on an actual journey. Or it could be that he was on a journey that is our journey, the journey of life that we are very closely familiar with because it comes and it goes. The princess represents, and somebody wrote our neshama, represents our, our life essence, the vitality that's within us that keeps us alive. And that excitement that keeps children alive is something, and, and they naturally like put it out there. They're so excited about little things, right? We lose our confidence. We lose our wonder. We lose our faith sometimes in Hashem as we get older. And sometimes things become meaningless. They just become things that we actually did. So, and then what do we end up doing? We end up pursuing like things that we think that the world thinks is important, like whether it's wealth or whether it's power or honor, all those things. And we forget deep down that we are just supposed to be connecting to Hashem. Now, um, a big theme that we are going to find through this story is that may the no good one take you. I'm going to give you a little bit of uh, a hint into who the no good one was. Um, maybe we have some people here um, who want to guess who is like the ultimate, like the no good one. May the evil one take you. Um, I'll give you a hint. It's somebody else who attacked us on a journey. When we were on a journey and they came and they attacked us on that journey. Um... Anybody want to take a guess? Wonder like if it was a giveaway, if people would be, would be answering more. Um, okay, so I'll tell you that the answer is Amalek. Amalek. Remember that we have to remember them every single day in the Sheikh Chiros is that 
they that they came on our journey. Thank you, Ruach Teikam. There we go. Oh, once upon a time. Yeah. Oh, I see. It must be that they're coming in late because people are saying Amalek. So yes, the answer is Amalek. Amalek's idea, what they did was, um, and I remember as a kid, we always were taught the mashal that they were the ones who like jumped into a boiling hot bathtub. The Jewish people were on fire from like leaving Mitzrayim. And we were like, you know, this, everything was amazing. And then they came and they jumped in and they attacked us like cooling off the bath. I always think about this, like my first child that goes into the bath and they're like, it's so hot. And like their feet are like scorched. And then the next one goes in and it's like, eh, they cooled it down, right? So Amalek's, their strategy, their spiritual strategy is Asher Kar that they cooled you off along the way. They took away that excitement. They took away that, um, the, 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 the excitement and they kind of like numbed the excitement that we've had in terms of Avodah Hashem. Anything that we were connected to, they cooled it off. So with this story, what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to reestablish our connection to our Avodah Hashem. And that should be bursting with holy fire and it should be bursting with, with the, the Yiddishkeit should be bursting with excitement when we're doing the mitzvah. So we really, what we're trying to do is we're trying to return to who we are. And tshuva means to return to yourself, okay? Um, and to not just to return to yourself, but every time you come back to yourself to uncover that deep down you have a core that's connected to Hashem. That's the over idea of being on a journey. Now, um, I'm going to, sorry, I'm like looking off the book. I'm going to just reiterate that what some, one of the concepts in this book is that Rabbi Nachman's statement is that anyone who heard the story of the lost princess, they had a thought of repentance. That just hearing this, you will automatically feel like you want to do some tshuva. And it's an actual guarantee that if you follow through with this story, you will be brought to Teshuva. And the essence of Teshuva is to really return to that princess of our youth, to that kid who is excited, who comes home with the challah, who comes home with songs and parshashit, and they can't wait to share, and not just like the aura role of like, I, should I make apple crisp or caramel muffins? Okay. We are going to begin the actual story. Um, we're gonna try to go, we're gonna try to keep this to like a half hour um, sessions, because. I know that like everybody's time, you know, and I want to be conscious of that. Um, so let's just get straight into the story. So the tale, the tale begins. So there was once a king who had six sons and one daughter. Now I'm an only girl and I have four brothers. Um, and I always felt like I was the Basuchita and I was very precious in my, my parents' eyes. I was, I get their jewelry. I have some of their jewelry here, some of my mom's jewelry, um, which is always so nice. Um, but the daughter was very precious in his eyes, and he loved her very much, and he took great delight in her. Um, yes, for those of you asking, this class will be saved. Rabbi Nachman begins the, the, the story with introducing a king and seven children, six sons and one daughter. Whenever, like, you, you know, you hear a mashal, and there's like, there was a king, and he had a son, right? Like, who is the king? The king is representative of Hashem. So he's always, like the king is always the king of kings. So we have a king and he has six sons and he has one daughter and he likes his daughter very much. And he likes to spend time with her. So let's try to understand what these, this is what we're going to, we'll, we'll end with this, but we're gonna break down um, what the concept of the six sons and the one daughter represents. So when we think of six plus one, what automatically comes to mind? We have six sons and one daughter. 
right? We have six days of the week and we have one Shabbos. Okay. When, and this is like a little deep for me, I think this is the first time I'm like actually formally teaching this. So come along with me on this journey. We are going to, before we get into this, we are going to understand the concept of the 10 spheres. Um, the 10 spheres are kind of like the DNA or the blueprint for how Hashem created this world. There are 10 spiritual channels um, by which the world was created and how Hashem interacts in this world. And each of these spheros, we'll get into them, actually embody a different aspect of how Hashem expresses himself in this world. We're going we're gonna to get to it, just one second. So let me just break down the 10 spheros. The 10 spheros are Kesar, which is what we refer to as a crown, Chachma, which is intellect, which is the right side of the brain. I'm going to do a little like hokey pokey here, okay? Um, Bina, which is the left side of the brain, which is wisdom and intellect, and also the name of my fourth child. Chesed, which represents loving kindness, which represents the right hand. Gvura, which represents strength, is the left hand. Tiferes, which represents like beauty and harmony, is the torso. We have Netzach, which represents eternity, which is the right leg. Hod, which represents splendor, which is the left leg. Yusod, which represents the bris, which is the foundation. And Malchus represents kingship, and it's kind of like the collective whole of the emotions. So now, in order for me to break this down, I'm going to give you a simple chart. And I'm going to explain what these 10 things mean. And then I'm going to explain how the six sons and the one daughter relate to this. There is, when ha there's every of these 10 spheres are represented in a physical manifestation and a psychological manifestation. Kesa represents our desire and it represents the skull up here. Men put their tefillin over here because this represents the closest that they want that they can get to Hashem. You think about it, the Hebrew word kesar is actually a crown which is above the head. It is not actually the head, it goes above the head, a crown, right? It goes above the head, so that's kesar. Chachma represents intellect, which is the right brain, which is kind of like holistic vision of wisdom. Bina represents wisdom, which is intuition, and it's the left brain, and it represents working more on the particulars. So Chachma represents like the big picture, and Bina represents the details. That's the left side of the brain. We have Chesed, which is unrestrained kindness, giving. That's your right arm. Your left arm is Guvura, which pulls back, and that's restraint. Tiferis is representative of the torso, represents confidence, represents truth. Netzach represents dominance, endurance, which is the right leg. Hod represents submission and praise, which is the left leg. Yisod is connectivity and impact, and that's represented the physical manifestation of the bris. And Malchus is receiving, which is, can either be the mouth or the actual whole being or a person's mate. The Breslover Mashbeam teach us that when Rabbi Nachman speaks of the king of the six sons, that's represented of the king of the seven lower spheres, which is your emotional part of you. And Hashem reveals himself in this world in the seven lower, chesed and down. That's how he reveals himself. When we say the king had six sons, that is the, the idea of chesed v'ratveras netachod yisod, and the princess represents malchus, which is like the collective whole, which, like we said, can be the six days of the week, and then Shabbos, which is malchus. 
And because the seven lower spheres serve as a general blueprint for the world that we live in right now, in this physical world, they're reflected in the seven things that we see through nature. Seven represents the number of nature, seven days of the week, seven colors of the rainbow, seven continents, seven metals of antiquity, seven planets, seven classical planets, um, and the seven seas. Everything that comes down from the spiritual world into the physical world here manifests itself in the number seven. The six days of the week, which are the Yumei HaMaisa, Hashem created the world in six days. It says, Sheshes Yamim Tavod Six days of the week you're going to work and you're going to do all your labor. The external accomplishment, the physical improvement of this world, financial gain, going up, getting a, you know, having your job, you know, putting on your alarm, working out, eating, all that stuff represents the six days of the week. And this is how the general nature of the six sons in the story. He had six sons and they were great. But because they represent the physical world, they're not as delightful in the eyes of the king. The accomplishments of the six sons, they're very important. They need to be there. They need to be there in the religious world, in the spiritual world, and also in the physical world. Rabbi Nachman teaches us that the sons are great, and they're there, and they're there, and they're supporting the king. But the daughter was most precious in his eyes, and he loved her very much, because it's the princess that Hashem truly treasures. That concept of malchus, is very, very soulful. It's very impactful. It's the part of us that connects to our emotions, the feeling of being connected to Hashem, that comes through Malchus. Malchus is kind of like the motor that allows the six days of the week to run. Um, and the idea where the six days of the week sometimes can be like a mindless pursuit. It's like I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, but I'm not sure what I'm working for. The princess is what you are working for. Malchus is the focal point of creation. Okay, the ultimate culmination of all the spheres of revelations was within Malchus. Maybe you think it's the lowest because it was the last thing that was created, the last way that Hashem connected to the world, but it's actually the opposite. It's actually the holiest day of the week. Uh, we refer to Shabbos as the Shabbos Malka, the Shabbos Queen, right? The Shabbos Queen. For Shabbos is the day where Hashem's sovereignty is revealed in the world through the feminine sphere of Malchus. Um, I'm going to pause here because I realize I'm already going 35 minutes, but I want to just end with the concept that the six suns represent masculinity. They represent the six days of the week. They represent space and time and the six directions and financial success and um, quantity and sometimes maybe shallowness, but also doing. Where the princess represents femininity the seventh day of the week, which is Shabbos, she represents time and spirit and being at the center point, kind of like a Zen moment. She represents meaning, fulfillment, and joy, emuna, tefillah, yerushamayim, and having proper kavana. And she's a deep person, princess, who lives in the moment and lives in being, as opposed to doing. I'm going to end here. And I'm going to start off next week with talking about what the absence of the princess of our life causes and how it's kind of that moment when you're no longer engaged, you're not in the engagement period. Um, so if anybody has any questions, feel free to message me. I am so excited um, to be doing this and I'll see you next week.